0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Welcome everyone to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm delighted to have on today's show, Judy Mode and Trent McEwen of Revenue Sphere. And we're going to talk about disruption and innovation today. I'm very excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah, thank mm-hmm. you. So, Judy and Trent, tell us about the trends in your industry or area of expertise that you think uh, middle market CEOs really need to know.
1: So, how much time do we have? Right?
0: <laughs> we have about we have about forty <laughs> to fifty minutes. Go for it, Judy.
1: Yeah. I uh, wow, that's a pretty pretty big question. I think you know I I I can say back in the day because I've you know I'm thirty years out of uh, college, but I think what's pretty pretty exciting to me. In, in terms of, of where we are today is really kind of the acceleration of, of innovation. Um, and it, if you think about the, the kinds of technologies that have enabled businesses over the past 30 years, we, we seem to do kind of big buckets of, of disruptive innovation. Uh, but now we're seeing literally almost on a daily basis something that, that's new, whether it's in manufacturing, healthcare, financial services, and to, to really be in a CEO position right now to be able to, to kind of impact our business in that way, it's, it's a great
0: opportunity. And so the acceleration of innovation is a topic that I think is top of mind for everybody that's in business these days. But for the middle market specifically, how do you think about innovation or, or the, the acceleration of innovation in the middle market? Because in some cases they may... Be the disruptor, and so maybe benefiting from it. Um, in some cases, or maybe you'll tell me that this isn't true. That they may be the disrupted. And how does a CEO know, like, where in the where in the food chain they are, right. so to speak? So, so here's kind of our our fundamental belief
1: is that yes, innovation is good, but the challenge that uh, companies and CEOs have is how do I actually connect that innovation to enable my business. And sometimes that's pretty clear and and sometimes it isn't. And so uh, the approach that we've been taking really isn't about starting with the technology and then kind of figuring out where it fits. It's actually approaching it from a different way, which is fundamentally what's been broken uh, in the business that we haven't been able to fix because the technology hasn't existed, right? And so um, one of the areas I know that we wanted to touch on a little bit was this whole um, growing area of, of predictive analytics, for example. As a chemical engineer 30 years ago, simply put, if equipment failed, people died, right? <laughs> and, uh, and it's not that we didn't want to fix it. It's just we didn't have the the technology that enabled us to fix that. So I think the, as long as you understand that in- innovation is there to enable something, Um, and treat it in that way, then that helps. If you're trying to make it strictly about the technology and kind of figure, forget about the people process side of it, then it doesn't work, Mm -hmm. um, is what we've seen.
2: And I think to add to that, especially within the mid-market, is yes, you're right. They can be the disruptor, but they'll probably also be disrupted by the new innovations that are coming out. But with technology in general, the speed in which new things are coming out, the way the expense of actually implementing these new innovations is coming down, these middle market CEOs are just constantly onslaught with with what is the latest and greatest and and how do I do it? And so I think the, the challenge is not only how do I how do I bring new innovation to market, but how do I stay on the cutting edge of innovations that I can utilize as well? And it's a constant battle between you know going forward and 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 staying the same.
0: And so, what are your recommendations in that regard? You know, many C- CEOs or companies may be struggling with with what they've already adopted last year or two years ago, and then there's something new that then is changing the market again. What are your recommendations for how people can keep up?
1: So, a couple things. Um, uh, we, we still believe in looking at a business issue can, that can now be solved and starting with that first and, and putting that kind of in the, in the center of the universe. The, the other thing is that we can't make it about the technology anymore, right? If you look back over the, the past 30 years, the major disruptions that occurred, they were big, but they were boxed in such a way that we had enough time as a company to absorb it. Right. So we could kind of figure out what it was, how it applied, you know, how it would affect our organization, you know, the change in behavior, people, process, technology. Um, And you had enough time to kind of do that. Well, now you don't. I I use the analogy of, uh, you know, uh, you want to swim out to the reef, but you're at the shore. And just when you pop up, you get hit with another wave. And right now the waves are coming so quickly that you can't make it about the wave anymore. And the fundamental challenge that CEOs have is they don't have a plan or a process on how to adopt technology. They've always made it about the technology and then we'll figure it out. You can't do that anymore. Um, and so there's a fundamental recognition from a CEO or CIO, any of the C-suite, that you're, we're going to have to build in how are we as a company looking ahead just be able to, to do this regardless and not have to worry about what the specific technology is, if that makes sense. Well,
0: give us an example. Do you have a, an example of a company that you, th- you feel has done it well, um, and then maybe another example that maybe has not done it as well?
1: Um, I think that I think most organizations, um, if you look at the way companies have adopted technology, um, uh, in some cases, to your point, it was kind of an afterthought, which is, hey, we bought what we bought, And now what do we do with it? So kind of let's figure it out. And so I kind of call that adoption in the rearview mirror, right? Then we kind of moved into adoption one time, which is, hey, we're getting ready to make an investment in an ERP solution or a CRM solution. So at least let's figure out operationally where this is going to fit in our organization, which is what I call adoption one time. Um, I'm a believer that we're now moving to adoption as a lifetime. And if we don't build it as a discipline within our companies, we're forever going to be going um, and and basically, you know, up and down, up and down, uh, because we'll never, we'll really never be able to catch up. Mm -hmm. And the other part is that all of these innovations are integrated. So you can't just say, hey, forget about that cloud mobile thing. We'll we'll catch up to, we'll catch up to that like five years from now. It's not going to work. And so you can't, you can't really ignore these disruptions um, you can I guess you can put your head in the sand and say hey we'll get to it three years from now but that that to me is really what's happening is its adoption for a lifetime and that's a concept that a lot of organizations haven't yet um, a- adopted on their own but it's certainly one that that we're advocating for
0: for where they're going to have to be and what does adoption for a lifetime actually like what does it look like
1: so if you think about your organization as a, a combination of People process technology, culture, chemistry, uh, business objectives. If you were to ask any CEO, and I, I challenge you to say, look, can you share with us your company's plan for how you're going to adopt technology moving forward? Nobody has one, right? And so, but if you ask them what's their plan for the application of quality, maybe they have that, right? Um, and so what we've b- been doing is really helping uh, companies understand that there is a, a new world that we're living in and a new world requires new rules. And the old way of, of really adopting boxes of technology just doesn't work anymore because because it's happening so quickly.
0: And so you're advocating that as an ongoing discipline, that there is time, resources, and mental mental share of mind devoted to like, Technology is going. New technology is going to be adopted, so we need to establish an infrastructure from being able to te- adopt technology a- on an ongoing basis. Yeah,
1: and, and the other part is, you know, um, I uh, kind of my title in our company is chief adoption officer. Uh, part of the challenge is that nobody really owns it, right? It's it's seen maybe it's a CIO thing because they're doing the technology side of it, or maybe it's a COO thing because they're doing the operations side of it, or maybe right. But fundamentally, because it's it's a discipline, it actually transcends all of those executive roles, and it's a a, a bit. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised by how many other executive roles have come forward. Uh, for example, chief data officer, chief analytics officer, and yet the core of what what's happening in these companies, whether they're trying to drive the adoption of what they've built as the developer of innovation or they're trying to drive the adoption of what they uh, purchased as the consumer of innovation, nobody actually owns it, which is why this really breaks down for, mm. for a lot of folks.
0: And so the name of the company is Revenue Sphere, and we really haven't talked about the revenue side of it. So how does revenue figure into this uh, adoption paradigm?
1: Well, it's a three-legged stool, right? Buyer, seller, and, and investor, uh, and if if done properly, then really um, uh, our philosophy is it really takes a village, right? So given the complexity of the innovation, um, I'll just use you know the Internet of Things as an example, right? If you think about where we are in that market maturity, we're kind of living in a, a world of parts and pieces, right? There are sensor manufacturers, and then there's analytics companies, and then there's big data companies, and then... But, but fundamentally, sensors by themselves can't get the job done. Analytics by themselves can't get the job done. And it's going to require somebody to actually connect all the dots and really build the village to tackle some of the complex issues that these CEOs are, are struggling with um, and make it operational, right? So, so there's a big disconnect between uh, the buyers on the one side of the Grand Canyon and the sellers on the other side and somehow somebody needs to make it work. And it has to be not making about the innovation work, but really about how we're going to solve some critical business problems, leveraging that innovation. That's, that's the hole in the middle that, um, that we're trying to fill. Hmm.
0: And so what's your approach to helping the C-suite think about anticipating disruption? Whether or not they're going to be the ones taking advantage of the disruption or whether or not they're going to be the disrupted, so to speak.
1: Yeah,
2: Trent, you want to, You have a good. So, when when we when we talk to the C suite, they are the disrupting technology coming in. Um, typically, their their strategy is around their product and the innovation, and the the go to market strategy is talk about the product, talk about the features, talk about everything that they've done with their creation. Their baby's pretty, and and everybody's happy with it. Um, what's lacking is anchoring that innovation to a specific problem in which their consumer is facing, needs to fix, has to fix, the solution in which the disruptor has is the answer to that fix. What we find is that people who have those types of situations are forcing the buyer of the disruptive to, to culminate and, and figure out how they're going to do it right? It's up to them to figure out how they're going to use this innovation. It's up to them to figure out how it fits into the, the organization itself. It's up to them to figure out what, what, what's going to happen next, where what we have found is that if you flip that and move to a more problem-centric approach, it's, it's easier to, to get the CEOs interested in the innovation and, and, and make it more consumable, if that makes sense.
1: Mm-hmm. And I have an example. Um, we had a conversation with a chief information officer, and and this is actually a, a, a trend that's happening in the market, and not only new innovation but technology in general. And so he shared the story with us that he has sixty different vendors, and he um, reached out to the executives in every one of those companies and said, starting a week from today, you can no longer sell me anything. But what I am looking for are advisors. I'm looking for companies who want to partner with me to not only fix the problems that we've already identified, um, but actually have the visibility to problems that we probably will have in the future so that we can go ahead and prepare to fix those before they actually become a problem. And what was shocking to me, and I'm not sure if you wanted to make a guess, but how many companies out of the 60 literally responded and said, you know what, we're in, right? We're, we're, we're going to flip from selling you something to helping you fix something. What would you
0: guess? Let's say 25%. So let's 15-ish? Yeah, two. Wow. Two, right? And these are companies that are doing storage,
1: bandwidth, disaster recovery, right? You, 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 you. And he said, unfortunately, one of those companies is aspirational, not operational. So technically, it was really... But that's the world that we're living in right now. And that's really what social as a disruption has enabled is the power of the problem. And so buyers are no longer wanting to buy anything um, because of the complexity and the speed of all of these things that are are hitting them at the same time, right? Think about um, all of this movement to everything as a service, right? Mm -hmm. At first, it started with just software. And then now we're doing platforms, now we're doing sensors, right? We talked to a battery company who's going to stop selling batteries and they're going to basically sell power as a service. So we're moving to these operational models. And then we're, on top of that, we're doing the Internet of Things where everything's connected and we can basically put a sensor on everything. So if you start thinking about the complexity, because no longer are these systems housed in a single data center, right? They're, they're at Amazon, they're at Google, they're at Microsoft. And, and for those reasons, it's not as simple as let me buy a piece of storage or let me buy some bandwidth. Those, um, you know, nuts and bolts days are, are gone. And there's a fundamental shift that's happening right now. And the sellers are struggling with that, um, because it's not what they're used to. They're used to basically building something, making it the best that they can do, and then delivering it and out then to the market,
0: charging it on a metered monthly thing and making a whole bunch of money.
2: Well, if you think about it too, though, um, with the movement of everything as a service, you've got each of these individual companies, but all they care about is their specific service. They don't worry about the 20 other services that you're subscribed to. So someone has to figure that out. How is all this going to integrate? How are they going to talk to each other? What does that mean for my office infrastructure? What does that mean for my, you know, my people, my processes? What does all that mean? And they don't. The vendors aren't going to provide any help because. They're just worried about theirs.
0: They're just
2: worried about you know, collecting
0: their monthly subscription. Someone's got to Yeah, someone's got to figure it out,
1: right? And what what triggered that was a um a few uh, I guess a well, couple months. ago. Let me go back and then.
0: unpack something that you said. Yeah, you said social as a disruption. So I want to make sure that I you know that our listeners are kind of tracking with everything. What does that mean?
1: So if you if you think about the evolution of of the movement from client server to the internet, right? We we moved from Basically,
0: people having a, a room to information. in their in their office that had a bunch of bunch of servers.
1: Right. And so so the Internet, what that fostered was access to information. Right. Right. So it wasn't, hey, I needed to go to a trade show or, hey, let me send you a, a piece of collateral in the mail. Um, what what social enabled really going back about almost 10 years now is access to other people.
0: So social being just social networks in general, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of it.
1: Correct. And so what's happened now, however, is we have too much information. So if you think about, if you look at any category, you know, just type in CRM, for example, um, it, it's, we're no longer at the point where we have hundreds of thousands. We're literally in the point where we're indexing millions of billions of pieces of information. And so as a buyer, as I'm trying to get my own education, how do I figure out what's most relevant to me? And so what's happening is we're leveraging the peer networks and it's no longer just about the people that we meet in person or we pick up the phone. We can literally reach and touch out anybody that we want to anywhere in the world and have a relevant conversation because what we're now trying to do is short circuit that process um, in order to kind of cut through, cut through the noise of, of any given market. Um, but what's But having said that, having done a a lot of analysis in this area, what's fascinating to me, because I put myself into the shoes of a prospective buyer, is how much of a gap there still exists, even with social as a disruption, between what I call kind of the why of what you need to do, um, which tends to be more the analysts and and those types of organizations versus the how of what you do, which tends to be the vendors and, and the providers. What's missing is really the connectedness between the why, the what to the how, so that I as a buyer would be more easily be able to figure out for my own company, what problem do I need to solve? Why do I need to solve it now? And then all of the steps necessary to get to the point where we actually fix the problem. That part, there's still quite a bit of, of pieces that are, are missing. So uh,
0: let's go back to this. Uh, I'll come back and get you in a second, Trent. But let's go back to this uh, scenario that you mentioned with the CIO who uh, basically started to rationalize his interactions with this these 60 vendors um, I think it's very interesting uh, why do you think the vendors were not open to kind of helping the cio get ahead of the issues and helping him anticipate anticipate what's coming why do you think they they would not want to do that
1: well it's a it's Actually, interesting that you say that because, as you can imagine, I tell this story all the time. It's a good story, and and (laughs) it's not my story, right? It's it's true, and by the way, there's more than one person. Um, But they complain, like they they kind of like whine, Um, like that's not fair, and how should I be expected to know their business, and how can I anticipate what problems they're having? And I said, well, it's out there. Right. I mean, <laughs> that information is, is out there. So it's not like we're living in closed off castles anymore. And, you know, the, the bridge over the moat and basically they let the bridge down and you're allowed in. Yeah, we're, we're living in a, in a glass world. And so if you don't know and if you can't predict, then that's on you, not on them. And, and we're so used to, and I can say that because I've been selling technology my whole career, we're just so used to living in this is what we have and this is what we're responsible for, for selling um, that we're, we're kind of, that's part of our, our DNA. It's a lot harder to t- kind of separate out the what you do to focus solely on what are you going to help companies fix and kind of let go of the what you do until the appropriate time. We, we we're always trying to just convince people that this is really what they need to buy. And and it was actually that CIO who said that my next post should be stop selling and start fixing. Um, uh, and by the way, he's not alone. Uh, uh, a lot of organizations are, are going through this, this transformation.
2: Mm. Well, I, you know, the old model was, and, and, you know, I've been in technology a long time and been on the buying side of technology for a long time the old model was you had the salespeople walking the floor and they could come in and they they, they, they do the education if you will you know mm-hmm. here's my new thing and this is what we're doing what social actually did was the social disruption was i don't need that education anymore i can go out and find it on my own and oh by the way it's not jaded anymore i don't have to worry about getting the spin from it i can mm-hmm. actually go talk to my peers who have either touched the technology or currently using the technology, had a bad experience with the technology. And we will tell you the truth. And we will tell me the truth. And I can do that all behind closed doors. And so what, what, what's happened is the whole buying process is transformed. Even your own personal buying process is transformed. You don't go, you know, you don't go to a car lot and just go, hey, Mr. Car Salesman, tell me what my, you know, tell me what your best car is. You actually do all the research now and you have all the information. On Amazon, when you go, you have access to everybody's review of the product or whatever you're going to buy. So you don't do this anymore with an education. You know, the salespeople don't have it, the opportunity to provide you that education anymore. You're doing it all on your own.
0: Or they do, but it has to be the next level of education. It can't be anything that I can find on my own.
2: Right. But as a buyer, I don't want to go in and download your white paper. or Because as soon as I do that, what does that do? It immediately puts me in your automation sales system and I get pinged with 400 emails. You know, hey, I saw you downloaded a white paper. Let's set up a call. And then all of a sudden I get the phone calls too. If I wanted to talk to you, I would have picked up the phone to talk to you. I was just trying to get information, right? So now I'm got to, I get this onslaught of, I am in your automated, you know, whatever automated sales system you have, and now I'm getting onslaught by, you know, you, and I just wanted to download the Gartner paper that you had on your website, right? So the buying process has totally changed and now we're, buyers are closing the doors, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to your salespeople. When I figure out everything, I will then talk to your salespeople. But therein lies the bigger problem is that now I'm forcing my buyer because he doesn't want to have this constant communication to figure it out on his own, and that's the problem.
0: So how, how, do you, how does the seller in that process be, begin to add more value again? Well,
1: t- two things. They, they have to be able to separate what needs to be fixed from the ability to fix, right? So if, if you think about adoption in terms of technical adoption, which is technically what are we going to need to do as an innovation or a group of innovations, that's kind of backing, backing into it. Buyers are more holistic in their approach. Either they've already identified a critical issue or they're in pain and they may not even yet know what the critical issue is, but they need to kind of diagnose it because you can't actually fix something that you don't know is broken, right? You may be making investments and it's the wrong investment, right? Because you were fixing the wrong problem. Um, what's happened is that until the buyers holistically kind of go through that, the, the hole in the middle today is is operational adoption. And operational adoption is really based on what do we need? What approach do we need to fix this problem? Once we've agreed and we got the consensus around the table, whether it's two people or 25 people, then what are the different ways that we can fix it? And what have we tried? What's not working? What's not working? Um, what's missing? Wait, where do we, what do we need? What's, what do we have? And, and the fallacy is that everybody thinks that people are a buyer from, the, from day one. They're not. They're actually not a, technically a buyer until they figured out what they need to buy. And, but the problem is by the time they've defined what they need to buy as a category then the sellers that are in that category are automatically competing with everybody else. So what we're finding is that there's a movement towards the commoditization and marginalization of markets because by the time a buyer ends up in that category, there's only two decisions that they need to make, a technical and a financial, right? Uh, And an RFP, by the way, they've already made a technical decision. All they're asking for is financial. With the executive group that I run, the amount, there's two things. The number of MARFPs is increasing, which, by the way, is not a good thing because you're too late to the game. And the other metric that's even more staggering is that, in particular in, in B2B today, if you consider all of the opportunities that flow into an organization, through, regardless of through what door, right now, every time they lose a deal, only 10 to 20% of those lost deals are going to a competitor. 80 to 90% are going to a non-decision. So think about how much money they're spending on website and marketing and sales and trade shows for 80 to 90% of those opportunities to just go nowhere. That, that's the world that we're living in. And it's because the buyers are trying to do everything that they can and they just keep pushing off the decision until they're ready to decide. Now, they're not going to tell you that. They're going to give you 452 different reasons. But there is a an approach where you can actually enable and facilitate that decisioning process, but it can't be based on selling what you do. It has to be organic to what they need to fix and actually getting their commitment that they, want to, that you, that they need your help in fixing that problem. And, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the gap that we see right now.
0: And so is your recommendation, and I think you touched on this, um, Trent, that, that the sellers need to really elevate the conversation, right? Elevate the conversation and put whatever value—not their thing, you know, their widget—but the value that they provide in some sort of meaningful context for the people who are buying their service.
1: Yeah, and and you know, another besides the hey, do you have a plan for the adoption of innovation? Another gotcha question is, what business problem do you solve for who? Shockingly, um, many people don't know. Now they'll they'll you know they can go deep into their technology. They'll demo it all day long. Um, they they may be, be able to tell me technically what problem, but they can't tell me the underlying business problem. And by the way, it better be a problem that um, is urgent in in terms of its need to fix, because if it's not urgent, then whatever you do is a nice to have, not a must have. Um, and it better be one that they can't fix on their own, because if they can fix it on their own, then they're going to fix it on their own. These are, you know, for the most part, sophisticated companies and so the definition of the problem that you're going to, to approach um, has to meet criteria. Um, and it can't be too generic, right? I, I hear that all the time, right? We're going to increase sales. <laughs> We're going to reduce ROI. cost, yeah. ROI. Um, I'm like, well, you and, you know, 50,000 other companies that are pitching the same stuff. And it's just like, it, you know, it's noise. Like, you're, you're going to say, sure, right? And it's the same thing with, um, you know, websites, right? Well, we put our case studies. Well, don't show me the 12 case studies where it worked. Show me the 52 that didn't work, right? You, no one's going to ever publish that. So we're, <laughs> we're looking for the real- That's what they're
0: going to their peer networks for. Correct,
1: right? They're, they're looking for the real story because they, they don't want this to be an extended process. It's an extended process for a reason, And it's because they haven't been collectively able to go through that problem, fix the problem process um, end to end. And until they do, they just don't make the investment. Mm
0: -hmm. So just switching gears a little bit, I would love to hear from your perspective, what do you anticipate are going to be the most disruptive technologies that we're seeing in the next, like, let's say, two to five years?
2: Um, I think… you know, I think the biggest buzzword out there right now is IoT. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but
0: like, I don't. I mean, I hear about it, but I don't know that that's real because all I've heard that the only IoT I've heard is the thing that can change the heat in my house, which is not. I mean, that's great, but you know, how is that going to change my life?
2: So, commercially, if you talk about if you talk about manufacturing, if you talk about healthcare, um, if you talk about anything that has mechanical assets, mm-hmm. the greatest ability now to be able to put a sensor on that asset and get constant real-time data on how that asset is performing, what it's doing, will revolutionize the way we do maintenance, quality, and having that predictability on you know, end-of-life predictions um, and being able to understand exactly in real-time what is happening to my asset and then how how do I predict what will happen in the future? So if I know within 30 days that my asset will fail based on the data that I am seeing, then I can plan for that. So when I take down a production line that costs me $10,000 a minute to be, you know, to be inactive, I can plan for that and then save money over the long term, whether that's saving money from an inventory standpoint, saving money from a quality improvement standpoint, Oh, by the way, if I'm a big farmer or something like that, if I can improve my batches, you know, and I, I make 10 batches a day and two are good, five are okay, three are yeah, worthless, I got to throw them out. Well, you know, when I'm making millions of dollars on each batch, if I can improve just one of them, that's a game changer. And that's what IoT brings to the market. And in healthcare, it's even bigger. So if I can do, you know, if I can monitor the environment, you know, if I can put sensors on... Uh, People. people. If I can put sensors uh, from a telemedicine perspective and I can send sensors home with people and put them in their homes and I can transform, form, transform the way nurses take care of in-home patients because now they don't have to monitor the equipment. They can just monitor the patients because we have a platform now in which we can get all the information from the machines. Mm-hmm. I don't need anybody to physically do that anymore.
0: How, uh, how far off is all of this?
1: It's, it's today. It, yeah. And, and, it, and I think of it also going from a macro to a micro environment. So, so one, think about like the applications like ways, right? Where almost, in, almost effectively in real time, looking at your smartphone, you can figure out where the, the traffic, you know, where's traffic, where the accidents are. What's the next iteration in that is actually sensors that are now put on cars, so that I can take weather data so not like weather data in terms of here is what's the weather in Atlanta but here's the weather from my car on 285 so you can actually get a, a micro a micro environment um, the, the applications are are, are just astounding uh, in, in, in every in every industry and whether it's on the industrial side of the world the or the the consumer side of
2: the world so whether I can predict uh, you know Atlanta's the greatest application of bad traffic, right? So <laughs> an accident response. So what if I had sensors on every car that I could start predicting where accidents are more likely to occur and have my response crews there ahead of time to be able to clear the accident or, or do whatever. So the, the, the applications are endless. Yeah,
1: even mm-hmm. my car, right? Think about it. If I'm on 400 um, and I get a, a warning on my way home and said, hey, Judy, you might want to stop at Walmart and get a new battery, because, you know, the likelihood is your battery is going to die in the next week versus, oh, my God, my battery just died. Right? <laughs> no, you
0: go out to the car
1: in the morning right. getting ready to go someplace and right. nothing happened. Correct. And so, so the advancements, in, in, and I, I think about it in terms of, of time, right? So we've, as, as we've been very good at looking at um, historical time, which is really what happened yesterday, what was good about that, what was bad about that, what do we need to change And then we've been slowly moving to real-time, which is what's happening now, right? What's happening now on my website? What's happening now in my stores, right? Um, The the challenge with real-time is that if you need time to actually make a change, there's not enough time. Um, By the time you get there, it's actually historical, Mm -hmm. right? So the advancements in in analytics is enabling what I call future time, which which is what's going to happen next. So if we have a way of accurately predicting in terms of how many tickets we're going to sell at the, the movie theater to make sure I have enough popcorn on hand, um, you, you just think about if I can predict what's going to happen next and do it so I have enough time to actually do something different, um, That that's huge. And so this whole movement towards predictability as a discipline is going to drive a lot of that, that innovation. So I think we're we're in for some pretty exciting times. And
2: we, we've always had forecasting, right? Mm-hmm. We could always build models and, and do forecasting. But now with the onslaught of sensors and, and everything else that we have, we now can do true prediction and, and be much more accurate versus what we used to do from a forecasting standpoint. So it's, it's really a game changer when you can start making actionable decisions that you're you know, that are definitely going to happen because you have the data to support it versus making forecasts and you're still, you know, living in the world of kind of throwing the dart, right? Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, great. So let's turn the conversation a little bit to how you work together, which is the second segment of the show. Uh, I would love to know, how did this this little team come together? And, uh, you know, great working chemistry. And I would love to hear, how did you meet each other and start working together on Revenue Sphere?
2: So... I've, Judy and I have known each other for I guess 13 years now, and um, we first met. Uh, Atlanta is a is a big small town. Um, it's a big town in that you know there's a lot of things going on here, um, especially from a technology community. Though it's relatively small, but uh, Judy was actually selling software, and and I was running a, a development group here in Atlanta, and I was her customer. We just stayed in touch over the years, um, and she started a company. Um, about seven years ago I believe uh, called social gastronomy and uh, I was you know there with her when she started that but it just wasn't a it wasn't a good fit at the time and uh, I guess over the beginning of last year we started talking again about you know hey we, you know we both do some pretty interesting things how can we come together and work and uh, that was kind of the 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 genesis of revenue sphere so we launched revenue sphere in uh, October of last year and you know that's kind of it's been good ever since.
0: Mm-hmm. Great, and so every CEO I've spoken to says it's their team that makes them successful. What is it that you think separates good, effective teams from the ones that aren't as necessarily as effective and productive, Trent?
2: Put me on the spot. Um, you know, I think I think it's with every other relationship, and you got to have respect for one another. You got to appreciate what you, each other's do. Um, I think we're successful in that we're very complimentary um, in in what we. What we each bring to the table, um, Judy is—I I call Judy the front of the house. Really, um, she is outstanding in evangelizing everything that we do from a sales perspective, from a strategy perspective, from a communication and networking perspective. Um, I'm more kind of the back of the house, where the cobbler, if you will. I, you know, I kind of build solutions. I'm a builder, um, and I think if you have that, if you have that yin and yang. Where you're not stepping over each other and do, kind of doing that constant competition because you both do the same thing really good together, um, I think that that helps. Um, I, I, I think if you're if you're two people kind of exactly alike, and in, in, especially in this kind of alpha world, <laughs> that that you end up butting heads a lot. But because we're very complementary in our skill sets, I think we we manage very well together. Judy,
1: yeah. Um, so yes to that. I, I think that also there's not a big disconnect, right? So it's kind of like the baton when you're uh, running running track, right? There is that kind of hand-holding in the middle. Um, I've always been a believer, even before when I worked for other companies, that I had to understand the true values of the company, right? So the kind of the core foundation in terms of trust and respect and, and honesty. And, and to me, that was more important than capability or, you know, because um, at the end of the day, you can always decide to do something different, um, but it's a lot harder to build build a unique team. Um, and it's also harder to foster the, the appropriate chemistry in the team so that you can create a, a truly collaborative environment. And I think we're at the stage now that if you don't do that, you're going to be in trouble. Um, it, it, it's interesting that to me, the organizational shift that's happening, right, because I grew up in a very traditional, functional organization, right? So think about it. We have a sales group and then we have a marketing group and then we've got the technology group and we've built these silos within companies. Um, But now if you're looking from the outside, looking in, I don't care about your silo. I don't care that your sales or your marketing, I'm coming to you for a specific reason. I just want to get that. I just want to get that done. It's the same thing um, with this whole concept of multi-channel interactions with companies. Well, you, you know, now you're talking to the person who runs social media. Well, no, now you're talking to the person who's in the call center. I'm like, I don't care where you are. I just need you to fix my problem. And I think what's going to happen, is, I believe, um, that a lot of these functional silos are going to start to blend together, and it's really going to be more lifecycle-based than, than function-based. Um, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but but I hope that it happens in you know the rest of my lifetime because I, I think that's really where this is heading.
2: Mm-hmm. I think in addition to that too, uh, you know we y- you got to have an equal belief in the vision. You know I don't think you start a company. I don't think anyone should start a company and says, "Hey, I want to go make money, um, make money doing anything." But if you really believe and are passionate about what you're doing, and I think each 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 of you have to be equally passionate about it then you can be successful and you work well together. I think if you have alternative motives or, you know, don't believe in the vision and just here to get the paycheck. I think that's a, you know, that's a recipe for disaster.
0: So you mentioned some big words. Respect, trust, honesty. And I think that WorldCom, you know, the company that went out of business for fraud, um, had those as their core values as well. So how do you make sure that these are actually not just big words that you talk about, but they actually filter down into the behavior of the people that work for you?
1: I think two things. I think you have to do, not say, right? So so if, if you actually embrace those um, as the leader of the organization, it'll come across. If you don't, then that'll come across as well. So you can't talk to it. You can't put it on a piece of paper. You actually have to have to lead it in that way. But then I also think you have to hold people accountable to that, right? So there's the responsibility and the accountability, but you also have to create and foster an environment where people will feel comfortable. So we'll just use honesty. For example, if someone were to feel that if they came to you with a mistake, the probability is that you were going to fire them the next day if they admitted to that, well, no one's going to admit to that, right? I mean, who's going to be that stupid? Um <laughs> So you kind of have to walk the walk um, versus talk the talk so that people can understand that this is core to who you are and um, and that you're not, they're not going to get, you know, bitten on the, on the back end. Um, that's just kind of my opinion.
2: And I think it starts with, you know, it starts with the leadership. So if, if we believe and we do, if, if we foster that culture, then I think it naturally falls to the rest of the organization. If we do not foster that culture, then it immediately just ends up being a words printed on a big marble statue that the government is going to take over when they close the company down, which I think happened to WorldCom.
0: Right. right, exactly, exactly. So thank you very much. And what other new and exciting things are happening at Revenue Sphere that you think our CEO listeners would be interested in?
1: Well, I think we're... Um how do I say this? We're we're really believe in the problems that we're solving, right? And so we um, we don't really talk about what we do as a company, but we do speak to what we fix and and what we fix well. Um, but we're also very committed uh, to to the, the the acceleration of innovation and and really the adoption of, of that. And so um, part of that uh, is we've uh, we're we're kind of co organizing. Uh, the Atlanta Healthcare Innovation Conference. Which is when? Uh, well, it's April 28th. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and then right behind that, um, we're hosting, or co-hosting an executive summit for the innovation in manufacturing. and manufacturing. Uh, and we're just a huge fan, right? So on any given day, uh, we also launched uh, a thought leadership series on the adoption of innovation, And uh, I'm putting the word out to any executives, uh, whether you're the buyer, the seller, or the investor, um, whether you're healthcare, manufacturing, whatever industry, um, we're showcasing really the the talent, right? The kind of the talent that's out there, as well as um, CEOs have been very gracious and other executives in sharing some of the challenges that they're having uh, in this new world and some of the opportunities that they see for them to lead. Uh, and so we welcome anybody who would love to be and we'd love to maybe come back here and, and bring some of those executives as well. Um, so I think uh, I think that's what I'm most excited about is, is really the opportunity to go out and fix some critical business problems that have been here for a while. But we just didn't have the technology to to enable our ability to fix them. And now we can.
0: Great, 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 great. Anyone listening to the show wants to get in touch with you to chat more about something that they've heard. How can they do that? LinkedIn. All right. And your LinkedIn profile address or spell your name? Mode. Yeah, M-O-D. All right. Um, very good.
2: Yeah. Or you can visit our website, www.revenuesphere.com. Um, and yeah, we, we're always scouting for new innovation yeah. and always looking for thought leadership around the adoption of innovation.
0: So. Wonderful. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.